Welcome to the Rumpus Room. Hey everybody, how's it going out there? It's the boys from the Midwest back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room. And let's hit them with the takeaway message of the day. So I think one thing that I've been reading a lot about lately is attachment. And in my life, I've been trying to consider what I'm attached to. And there's this, uh, I've been reading a book by Anthony DeMello. Uh, It's called A Way to Love. And it's his last book. And he's a really, I think, great philosopher and thinker. What he says is all of your suffering, and I, I really believe this, is due to attachment. So if you're attached to something and it goes away, that is where the suffering happens. You can still enjoy things. So you can still enjoy having a day with friends, but you're not attached to it going away. You know, so it's, it's a healthier approach to life. So I've been trying to do that. And one of the things I've really had to drop a lot, especially since I think more of a social kind of college and high school experience is my viewpoint on, on what others think of me. And that not driving my motives, rather it being my own perception of myself. So I think that gets to, and I think we'll talk a little bit about this today, but Jordan Peterson's a pretty big advocate for, you know, what is your personal message? And what I really like about this attachment theme is don't place your priorities in what other people think about you to lose that attachment to that type of feedback. And it's a very addictive thing. And when you get social media and you get some of the way we've been, you know, raised, and I think we're just such a social species that that's something that's really hard, but it's uh, something to, to focus on. I think right now when we're paying attention to all the noise out there, this is really a good way to focus on something you can, you can change. Yeah, that's, um, a really central component to um, a lot of the Buddhist teachings and Stoic teachings. Um, attachment and desire are essentially, because attachment really means desire, like desire for something, right? You're in the future. Or, yeah. Yeah. And um, I just was reading one of my Stoic daily meditations and um, the philosophy was basically like fear and hope are the two causes of pain in this world. Fear is attachment to um, circumstances that are negative that you are hoping do not occur. And hope is attachment to positive scenarios that you hope will occur. And, um, in either one, you're attached to some alternate form of your conception of reality, as opposed to like the present situation occurring and acceptance of what is. And I think you're talking about attachment to a particular um, thing that is salient in your life, which is, you know, this kind of social uh, revelation and attachment can take many, many forms. Um, And so I, I, I totally agree that attachment is a huge source of suffering in our world and um, leads to leads to a lot of pain. So I, I totally understand where you're coming from in terms of trying to recognize where your attachments may lie. Yeah. And I think one thing we've talked a little bit about is, you know, as we continue podcasting and what are, what are we trying to 
support what narratives because i think you know the the people you surround yourself with the information you receive uh but i think one of the things we're thinking about is just how do we as people you know two two men from the midwest cut through kind of the crap or cut through the noise and uh be more of an empowered and successful man so that's something we're kind of consistently trying to figure out and this is a long journey we're going to be on but i think that's something we want to let people know how we're participating in the world and what we're thinking about and you know it's fun to hear from other some of our fans online so that's just something i think we we're trying to bring those bring you know what what is the conversation in our heads and how are we thinking of it because it's just a long journey and i don't honestly i don't really feel like there's a lot of places people can have this discussion or we're not it's not something i'm finding out there in the world i don't know that's that's just my two cents what do you th- think on that yeah i think we touched on this briefly the last episode about how people are so obsessed with control how much we've managed to manipulate the environment around us um we've become very powerful in that sense and the world is continually knocking us off and showing us like you're not actually in the driver's seat. You're more of a passenger with agency, but not full control. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, I'm very much reminded of that. And and one of my one of my main learnings right now is is really to kind of um, accept accept others, accept myself, accept circumstances, and try not to get in that desirous state for a particular circumstance a particular recognition a particular outcome that attachment uh takes you out of the present and um and being present i don't you know meditation really helps with understanding like what your typical thought patterns are um but attachment is just something that comes up so often in life um, in every day, you know, your attachment to a particular thing. It's, uh, it's a very challenging kind of, um, compulsion, I would say, uh, or learned trait that we, um, have typically supported. Like we celebrate people who have an attachment to an idea like success and then accomplish it. And that's the hero's journey is like, you know, you are able to accomplish that thing. And um, it's not a very exciting story to look at somebody who is accepting the world around them and not going through these peaks and valleys and highs and lows, which is why you don't see a lot of Disney movies about people who are accepting the circumstances around them and just really content with their life. (laughs) It's not a very fun narrative to show people and take them on an emotional roller coaster. So I don't think that idea of like presence and content contentment and acceptance is is celebrated really which which is challenging because then you know your sense of what success is or what accomplishment is is the execution and and the reinforcement that your attachment to something is what you should be doing which yeah it's valued mm-hmm. which is really driven by these external factors and i think we've gotten so good at access to information and manipulation that it's becoming increasingly muddled for people. Um, what, what, um, what should, what, what value really is. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how do we, how does, how does each individual find their own value? Cause a lot of this is, is in, and I was in this state, you know, I still am in this state, I guess, is you're trying to figure out what your own personal value is and how you navigate the world and find that, you know, how do you or yourself feel like you are providing value? How do you feel like you have meaning in your life? And there's a lot of different forms of meaning. You know, there are a lot of different ways you can gain that meaning. And it's a, you know, it is a journey, but it's not, it's like you said, it's not this hero's journey. There are highs and lows, but, uh, you know, I think that's been very complicated. And and the more you read the news, the more you, you it just complicates things a lot more because it creates a lot more narrative that's in your mind that you have to piece through. So that's, well, it's, it's complicated. And um, I think this is reflected in a very recent occurrence. And I don't know if we want to name names, but a uh, school district very close to, I mean, I suppose we could name name. We'll decide if, if <laughs> throughout the course of our discussion, we want to unveil where this is occurring. But there was a strange uh, recent development. And I'm sure this is happening all over the United States. But um, I, you should tell the story. I think you're closer to it. Yeah. So it is, uh, it's about, uh, eighth grade boys, which I think that's a specific species in itself. And well, having, I mean, it, the, the phenomena occurred at a middle school for all eighth graders. Yep. Yeah. And it, it, yeah, that's true. So this is a, it was a, uh, school English class. And what they did is they made each individual, uh, declare what uh, pronoun they wanted to use. So he, she, they, uh, you know, if they wanted to, you know, whatever they wanted to declare. So I think what uh, these people underestimated is the, <laughs> what really middle school boys are like, unfortunately. And it was a, you know, when you kind of look at it, it's like a, it's in this situation, it almost was a checkmate um, because. Well, and, and it wasn't just, was it just pronouns or was it also all other identity groups? Yes, it was all identity groups. So how did you want to be identified? I think was the question. And they were leaving it up to, you know, very open and accepting and trying to be inclusive. So um, this is an this is an eighth grader who's being asked to, to to say your preferred identity groups. Yeah, and I think another thing to be said is I think one of the go-to jokes of a middle school boy has to deal with uh bodily functions are very, you know, on top of mind. So this is, it's a pretty uh, advanced topic, I think, and a very, it's, it's a difficult discussion that I think we're all going through, but the, the young mind goes a lot of different places. So in this instance, the individual who was, um, individual said he, in, in this, he preferred to be called a Chinese African-American male. So this was met with a ton of resistance from the school district because they thought uh, they, they didn't really think he was taking it seriously. And they thought like, this is offensive. And you know, what's difficult, I think you and I were kind of discussing this beforehand is when you open the door for being accepting of everybody. And then when somebody answers something that you don't like, and then you, attempt to get them in trouble. You bring them into the principal's office. You make them, you know, go through, you call their parents. 
you know, you do all of these things that are definitely not showing acceptance. Uh, that's really, it's two different messages. I mean, you're sending out one message and you're acting with another message. And I think the frustration lies between us is, you know, that's not, that's not what the, what's being communicated with, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to accept everybody yet when you, when somebody declares it, declares it. And I'm, I'm sure it probably was, there was some met with laughter and some other things. And it was trying, you know, I, I know, I remember being a young child, we had lots of jokes. Um, you know, people are in and out of the principal's office because they're trying to constantly play jokes. And I think that's a young boy is a young males and even young female, a lot of young females, they're trying to figure out how to, how to deal with authority. <laughs> so there's a lot of mistakes um, or a lot of testing. So this is something that was met with a lot of resistance from the, the administration. They were calling home the, the mother of this uh, young, uh, young student uh, said, you know, she kind of was like, you know, no, I, you can't suspend this kid. That's, that's, there's no way you can do this. And so there's a lot of frustration, I think, too, in the community now um, with what's well, you, happening. They have asked a question to say, this is your free chance to express who you truly are, but you have to express who you truly are within the confines of what we consider as acceptable. For sure. That's and the then when you don't do that, we're going to use authority to try and oppress you into submission, into compliance with a particular agenda that we have played. And it's like, I mean, that's, that is so oppressive. That's the only word I can say is just like, it's so, it's so, it's such a double standard to say we're open and accepting of all people as long as you fit within the confines of this this particular frame of mind and and you i mean it's it's it's, it's not absurd. the answer we want it's and so absurd and so the answer we're going to try to beat out of you by by bringing you into the principal's office and making you as an example for the rest of the student population i mean that's what they're doing is they're okay. showing everybody how to behave and it's not a, this is i think oppressive is the best word you can use I mean, if you read any, you read anything about, um, you know, some of these other like communities, communism, these other, you know, socialism, some of these very difficult things, that is what happened is these decisions were being made for you and any type of free thought or speech wasn't agreed with. And I, I think it's a very double-edged sword we're going down. It's very dangerous. It is a very slippery slope to saying, okay, now we're going to have everybody and get up in front of their peers and, you know, um, express their devotion to a particular, you know, religious group or ideology or authority group. I mean, it's not far away from making people go in front of the student body and declare allegiance to, you know, the party, which like uh, which is happening. You it's happening that. and the difficult thing that i think just i take I really, a just take a plane over to the pacific <laughs> across yeah. the pacific and <laughs> yeah 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 try visiting <laughs> visiting a couple countries one of the things that's really difficult is how this is a tax dollar uh receiving entity that we're supporting so yep. it gets you know 
there's a lot it's a it's a much different ball game if it's a different entity but the fact that it's receiving grants funds you know people are not deciding to give money towards this occurrence you know this is like a public uh it's a state-sponsored entity that is outright uh rejecting the freedom of speech that is supposed to be bestowed upon every american it's like it's 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 so un-american it's so counter to everything that the country was founded on and i understand that our past is riddled with like instances of where this is we've gone astray and this is your sign this is your wake-up call like well it's also we've held those people we've tried to hold those people accountable you know we've attempted at it so you try to identify some type of like say we'll just we can bring up slavery It, it was not good but we went in and tried to fix that thing and um you know what was what was frustrating is hearing this um hearing this and then the narratives that you're what 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 it appears to me is there's a narrative that somebody wants and they are going to get it and push and if that's not accepted then um you know they're 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 in the right so yeah and if it's if it's it's not accepted then you're going to end up with a star on your shirt and (laughs) you know what i mean like (laughs) watch out yeah it's it's the wrong direction in my opinion and that's just my opinion and we could be right or we could be wrong but as a you know someone who i think you know freedom of speech freedom of Uh, religion all of these things are very important and i think those are kind of the bedrocks of what we have in america and it's really difficult to hear this how stupid i understand that the intention here is to try and empower people who feel like they are not a part of the major groups to you know express themselves in a way that they feel like they're going to be accepted okay i get that but if that is really what you're trying to do, then you can't come down on people for their answers for their answers. Any answer, any answer is acceptable, right? You can't use that against people and enforce a particular agenda and, and to expect an eighth grader to have the foresight. I mean, how it's, it's so frustrating that like you're expecting a person who is supposed to be teaching your child how to participate in the world, you're sending them to an institution that is supposed to develop them into being somebody that is like a free thinking contributor to society. And then all of a sudden you start oppressing them for not towing the narrative that you're trying to enforce. It's like, that is just, it's very, it, it, it makes me worry about, the pressures that are being put on young adults today. And I really hope that we use this as a wake up call to realize how short-sighted and um, authoritarian really these, these, these things can be. I mean, think about the pain that you put this kid through who thinks they're being funny on a form and then you threaten to suspend them because they're not, you know, coming to you on your knees and saying, Oh, I'm saved by the power of, you know, in-group, out-group identity politics. Like, Mm -hmm. you're expecting an eighth grader to understand that? That is just, it's sad that we have people in place who... 
the, the hard thing for me is you're setting an example right now for that entire grade, that entire school on what is acceptable and not acceptable. And that's just because you're punishing. And even if you think, oh, we didn't punish him, everybody knows about this story. I mean, they tried to punish him. Yeah. And that's the thing is it's it's not going away because what happens is now you now as a community, you know where everybody stands and making that known is very that's oppressive right there. I mean, that is that's tilting it in one direction. And if they never would have taken this kid in and they would have let the survey go and whatever, totally different. Yeah, totally different story. Great exercise in, you know, celebrating people to take a stand in their identity. Mm -hmm. First of all, I think it's totally absurd that you would expect eighth graders to be able to do that. I mean, your sense of identity changes so much over life. And this is a point in time. So all of a sudden, you bring somebody in and you hit them with the ruler and reprimand them for like, for this thing. I mean, it's just, it's so, it's so oppressive. It's so it's disgusting in it. And I really, like I said, I hope that this is a wake up call for people to realize, and I, you know, I, I wish they had actually suspended him and there were some ramifications because I would love it for the ACLU, um, you know, any sort of lawyer who is an advocate of free speech to take up this case, sue the school district for, mm-hmm. you know, like defamation of character. I mean, that it's, it's really, it's really sad that, you know, it, it worries me about kids growing up today and having to deal with this immense amount of pressure. I mean, that's just so much pressure to put on a young adult. It is. And then, you know, the difficult thing that I feel like is, okay, so this is a public institution. So what you're doing is you're eroding trust in public institutions. So then people are going to be sending their kids not they don't want to send kids to that type of environment. So they're going to be going to private school or having to spend money or moving districts or, you know, changing. And it's it's a really it's a it's a like we said, I know that people say this a lot, but it is a slippery slope on where we go from here. So, and instead of this being an effort to unite people, you use it as a tool to eliminate dissenters. You use it as a tool to exercise authority over non-compliant people. Well, and talk about, you know, oh, we want to bring people together. This is the complete opposite of that. This is a divisive action. Because what happens is the family of this individual are extremely frustrated. Other people are going to be extremely frustrated. So you create a not, you, you are creating two different sides on this story. It's so, so divisive. You create, you, you set the standards up for a battle. You, you embolden both sides. I mean, you, you take, you're, you're adding Tinder to an already powder keg of a cultural divide that is becoming more and more, um, more and more dangerous as we move on. And I, I, we, I asked my buddies a while back, um, and if like we are moving towards civil war, because there's a lot of people out there who are like the next phase of the American life of the American trajectory is civil war, because what has happened to the Romans or other other world superpowers that were fledgling as they are threatened on the 
you know, global scale is they end up tearing each other apart in the downfall. If you, you know, believe that history will repeat itself, which I think we're at risk right now to ripping our society apart mm-hmm. by um, these oppressive ideals. Yeah. And the hard thing that that I'm hearing is when you're call you're kind of telling one side that they're being divisive and they're being, you know, oh, you're, you know, when when you put that on other people, yet your action, these types of actions are divisive in nature, too. Um, that's where we are. Like you're just saying, we're getting we're getting into a very this is dangerous territory. Because it's it's going when you talk out of one side of your mouth and you do other things. And I think that's what you and I are. What we what we are striving to do is have our actions and our word be consistent. And that is how you build trust. That is how you create friendships. That is how you become a successful human being. And what we're seeing socially is the opposite of that. And it's hard. Go Go ahead. ahead. So it's, I, I just want to finish that. It's just, it's just hard to see that message and narrative. And then as a young person, you, you kind of look at where are they supposed to go? Who do they rely on? You know, what are the leaders that can get people through this? You know, that's really what we're, you're hoping for when you vote for a somebody, you vote for a leader, you follow a business, you, you know, you want these leaders who in gen, you know, put these types of uh, morals into people and they, you know, you follow them. And, and that's, it's dangerous to hear that in, in an educational system. That's where we're going. And I think we've talked a lot about the frustrations with the educational system. And this is just another example that's coming up. Well, and it's a, another example of how this double speaking out of both sides of your mouth has become so rampant. And, um, you know, obviously it happens on the right, you know, there, I, I happen to think it happens less on the right because I have this perspective that like a lot of, a lot of people on the right just kind of admit that they are sharks and they are sharks and they are sharks. And I feel like the left agenda is like more like we're not, we're for the social people. What's the morality? It's the morality play. And I mean, the, the Newsom thing, Governor Gavin Newsom stay at home, wear a mask, and then is caught out at a, you know, $800 a plate restaurant with medical industrial lobbyists the next day having a non-social distance event. And it's like, no masks on, no, you know, their own room. There's, you know, the rule that they said was, you know, less than three families. And there was, everybody was from a separate family. So uh, about the, the, least socially distance and aware thing you could be doing. And this well, is your it, leader who's telling you what to do. And, and I think it, it's a very small change in the way that people talk about um, how to address issues in your life or, you know, social complications. And I think it's a great example of how a authoritarian um request uh, an authoritarian mandate goes astray because you've got somebody like the Oklahoma governor saying we recommend that you wear masks we know that we can't really force you to do it 
but we recommend that you wear masks. Or you've got Governor Walls saying, don't go to your family's Thanksgiving. Or you've got a doctor saying, don't go to your family's Thanksgiving because you'll probably kill somebody and give them coronavirus. I mean, this, like, how, how stupid do you think we are? Like, this is, how come, we, how come the narrative is not, it is risky to social gather right now because we are in the middle of a global pandemic. Here are the likelihood, here is the likelihood that one of you in your group has coronavirus. These are the risks that you're putting your family at. This is not what the this is not what the narrative is saying. The narrative is saying don't do it. And you're we're just jumping to the consequences without allowing people to be empowered to take action in a responsible way. Mm-hmm. And and I, I so you know, don't go to your family's Thanksgiving. Like that to me seems like an infringement on my rights. I should have the ability to engage in risky activity i understand loved ones you know people in my family it's it's that you're kind of crossing a line and a boundary by saying you can't visit your family i mean two years imagine this narrative two years ago well and and i i understand that it's probably a bad idea okay so tell me how bad of an idea it is tell me about the risk factors but um the limiting of personal freedom and I just think that that is where we have really gone astray with all of this kind of control. And I, it's a slippery slope being a person who people are looking to today for, um, you know, for solace in terms of what should you do when confronted with a difficult situation. But by moving to this position that says, you know, I'm going, we are, you should, you should or shouldn't do anything. I mean, this, this is just a narrative. It's a, it's a language thing that I think is very, very important. It's an expression of authority on personal freedoms. And it, it, it has not become about we are trying to mitigate the responses of this pandemic. It's about we're exercising control. And it's such a small, I understand that it's a very small difference but I think it's a very critical difference. And we unfortunately are not holding people accountable to, um, to like staying within that space of being a person who makes mistakes. Mm-hmm. Governor Newsom made a mistake and it wouldn't be that big of a deal if he told other people that they didn't have that freedom. It becomes a problem when, okay, so I really hope that Governor Walls doesn't go to his family's Thanksgiving. And that's that's great because at least he's following through on his word. And mm-hmm. but but that's still not like it it just doesn't seem like a genuine um way to embolden a population to take action as a group. It seems to me to be like a top-down approach, and it just I don't I don't think it's going to be effective. No, and it never works. I mean, it may work with a young child, but once they get once they get to teenage years, you know, ask any parent how that works. Telling them to not do something, they do the exact opposite. Exactly. You know, and as a general know, rule, it it has fired us up about this very thing. And yeah, obviously I don't want to put my loved ones at risk, but it's not like that's your decision, right? It's it's my decision. And it's not like I'm 
I'm unaware of the global pandemic and the risks. I'm, I'm not, if, uh, to go to that level of like saying you should or should not do something would imply that I don't have the capability of understanding the consequences of my actions, which is, is very, again, this is that slippery slope of like, you don't have the ability to think for yourself. So we're going to do it for you. And it's going to be better for everybody if we do it for you. And I just, I don't support that. I really do not think that's the way that you have a society that progresses. I think that's a really key point though, is that overarching message of you don't, we don't think you should be making this decision. We should be making it for you. Yes. That's, that is what I am. I have been finding and feeling in all of the narrative is this information. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't deserve to make decisions. We do, you know, and that's, I think that's where a lot of this stuff comes through and it's really difficult for me to, to listen to it. And I think there's a lot of people I've spoken to a lot of people around me that believe the same way. And there are a lot of people that don't think of this and that's totally fine. I think this is what we should be having as a discussion. It's just, to me, it's really hard to be, that's what we're discussing right now is whether or not you should make a decision for me or I should make my own decision. Cause that doesn't to me feel like what, why, why we live here. And this is how we're go back and look at the, the constitution, they, these types of things. Um, freedom of choice you know I think go ahead you know the difficult thing for me is kind of on top of all this is what is the information they're making their decision on so for example uh, gyms are being shut down in the in the Twin Cities and they've been shut down in the state of Minnesota why are we making this decision like what what information what are the statistics that lead to the decision as a public i think we deserve to know that and i I mean i feel like that is i hope that's not a new concept but why are we making this decision you know what statistics are leading to that decision point and i think you know you got an email from your gym there's a lot of people that are pretty frustrated with how that has gone down yeah and um i think there are better ways to do this so um I got an email from the CEO at Lifetime. They said there have been 237,000 total cases of COVID-19 in the state of Minnesota. 48 reported outbreaks across all gyms, um, resulting in 747 cases, equaling an infection rate of 0.003, which is pretty low. I mean, also the infection rate at a hospital is rather high. So are we going to shut down hospitals too? It's like, (laughs) I mean... I, I, sure, limit capacity, right? Give people the freedom to do things safely without having a draconian w- approach, which um, I think ultimately is going to create more harm than good because I think personal fitness right now is really critical. I think getting outside, exercising, keeping your body healthy is a central component of how to be able to beat the virus. We don't want people holed up in their house deficient of vitamin D, diminished lung function. And then, you know, they go to the grocery store because we have to go to the grocery store to get food and people are back at risk. I mean, I, I think you can do, I, I think you can do these things in a way that doesn't limit personal freedom, but still uh, advocates for um, safety. the safety of the population. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's lazier to shut everything down. It's so I mean, much that's, lazier. That's the easier approach is to say, oh, shut it down rather than how do we specifically pick the points and how do we how do we take one more step and make things safe? And how do we even involve other people, the community, the leaders in these organizations to say, how should we do this together? You know, like that's to me, that would be a better approach. Obviously, we're not in leadership making these decisions, but we're, you know, it would be nice if we at least brought this narrative forward. Um, and, and part of the, the issue is that people are covering their ass. Um, this is what happens in healthcare all the time, which is why you see people getting so many unnecessary tests. And, you know, you have a culture that you have cancel culture. If the governor doesn't, you know, then the governor can say, oh, we took action to curb the spread of coronavirus. Well, the daily infections since um, uh, November 9th have consistently been decreasing. And today is our first day of our 14-week lockdown. So, yes, what data are you using to make these decisions? But um, also, like, how come, how come we can't, how come, how come you can't give a population the tools to approach the pandemic safely and, you know, by limiting capacity? I mean, we, we all know these things. I, I think it's just very short-sighted and it's this cover your ass behavior by saying, oh, look, I took these measures to try and make people safe. So it's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. It's literally just passing the buck without taking um, responsibility to make challenging decisions that I think can be better on the whole. And, and it's this, this cover my ass behavior that I'm really, I'm frustrated with. And I, um, I don't know what the solution is, but we live in such a kind of hot button society where people are always kind of at each other's throats. I think this is in response to wanting to save your skin, uh, versus, you know, um, allowing the people the choice to how they live their lives and save their skin, which again, you've seen other approaches in countries like Sweden, where they put more personal responsibility on their population. And yes, Sweden's had a second wave and now they have implemented some restrictions still though. I think that overall you can, you can at least approach your population like they aren't stupid. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's, it's, hard to navigate when that's the approach. And I think what we're dealing with right now is normally in life, we can get around, we can move without this impacting our day-to-day activities fairly well. And now with this virus, what we're doing is we're seeing how that system runs and how these, how these decisions are made. And it's not been great. (laughs) You know, it's no, we're being exposed to yeah a um, component of human nature that is really um, short-sighted, is really adolescent in its uh, practice. It's definitely not a mature um, response to anything. And it's very clear by the actions that people are taking that we are just really, we're making it up as we go. And so I, I get frustrated when people act like they're not making it up in these decisions like closing gyms when infection rates have been extraordinarily low and it seems like these are not a major problem uh, i mean this is it's just uh it's uh it's not 
it's I, I think it's a step backwards. Uh, and I, I don't know what the solution is. But I do know the solution is not really being shared with people. So we have trust in our institutions. I think it's creating a lot of distrust in institutions, which we were talking about, you know, greater distrust in the educational system. I mean, we're just so we're, we're being exposed to the adolescent nature that we really are, that we have for these new ideas. Yeah. And one of the things that I think we're kind of, you know, we're seeing is we're becoming more aware of how the world really is. You know, we're becoming more aware of our educational system and what it's what it really is offering. We're becoming more aware of our political system and the capabilities. We're becoming more aware of our government. We're becoming more aware of these issues and problems. And I hope what this brings is with awareness, we make more logical and better decisions moving forward. You know, and that's really what I would hope is as a community, we can rally and we can say, you know what, we did this wrong. Let's do this differently. You know, obviously that's going to be two steps forward after one step back. You never know how this will go. Um, and I think that's when I'm talking to some of my other friends is like, you know, I hope we actually see this for what it is. That's really, and I hope that the narrative doesn't get pushed around. Um, that, that's where I'm hopeful that that's kind of where this goes. And it, it brings up a, an interesting distinction about responsibility versus rights, because um, I think we've become obsessed with this idea of right, and um, we've relinquished our respect for people's responsibility. You know, responsibility. Right, I think you're meaning like I have rights, you know, what yeah. I, I deserve these things. Right. That's the, the context of rights. Great. Yeah. And um, rights implies kind of that form of attachment, which we were talking about in terms of, um, you know, like you you should have. I guess there are more tenants. I don't know how it relates to attachment. You're right. You well, know? it's. Like in order for me to be happy, I need these things, you know, I, and we've been saying that right here, rights, we want freedom. That's what we think we're, you know, that's kind of what we're kind of attaching to is, you know, we want the ability to make our own decisions. Those are like, that's kind of what we're arguing for is that, but I think it's gone. It's, it's, it's being, it's, and it's kind of opening up to be more things, you know, it's like, instead of it being a few things, it's becoming more, you know, instead of it being two or three, it's 10 or 12 or, you know, 20, you know, it's kind of where do they stop and where do they start is really difficult right now. Yeah. And the, there's less of a respect to the responsibility of an individual or for the responsibility of an individual that they have to their fellow man. I have a responsibility to not infect my family. Um, I, I don't necessarily need a right to say that I don't have that ability to, or, you know, the lack of the right to, I mean, it's just, it's not, it's not congruent to say you don't have a right to do something, um, because I don't believe that you have the responsibility within you to make a decision that is smart. Well, another thing too is like when somebody says, I have the right to healthcare, it becomes somebody else's responsibility. Correct. You know, it's not what you do is you give up your 
your responsibility by saying, I have a right to these things. So it, it puts the onus on somebody else. So somebody else has to take on that responsibility to give you that right, you know, instead of it being something you go after and take the responsibility for. That's the, that's what I'm finding it to be. The, the difficult thing right now is we're trying to figure out who's responsible for it. Mm-hmm. And the responsibility is the government is assuming responsibility, which as they should. Um, but I don't think there is a um, there's not a lot of I mean, the responsibility only goes as far as we're going to give you responsibility when it's convenient for us, which is the same thing that occurred with this kid who, you know, filled out the wrong things in the form. Like, you know, you you didn't follow the path. You don't have the responsibility to do this. So we're going to punish you. Um, we're going to exercise our authority over you. It's, it's just, it's very common these days. And um, I, again, I hope that the coronavirus can be a catalytic event for us to take a better stance and, and really kind of get back to those, you know, protecting people, you know, the really get back to the constitution, the right to liberty and the pursuit of happiness. I mean, that's, and then give people the responsibility to, obtain that right as opposed to mandating it it just it feels it feels like a double-edged sword and i i don't know how to get around it yeah and i think you know if you people have listened this far to our podcast they probably have an idea of what we think and you know I, i think it's how do we become more of a how do we in the conversation be more rational with our approach and less emotional, which is asking a lot of everybody. Cause you know, we're getting emotional on this podcast. Um, but I think we're trying to constantly go back to what's the information, where are we, what's, what's, uh, let's be aware of the situation and start to make different decisions. Well, I think a lot of it comes back to um, the idea of scarcity and um, lack of resources because what you're doing when you make a mandate like this is assuming that people don't have the access to resources or the ability to be responsible within the circumstances, which is a problem in and of itself. You know, if we ran out of medical equipment or whatever, um, I can understand measures for a particular, uh, you know, to try and counteract those things where we see explicit shortcomings. But what I don't see is the data. I don't see the, decision being made from those positions of informed kind of like consequences. I feel like it's more haphazard, like this tail wagging the dog thing where, well, we've actually seen decreasing coronavirus infection rates over the past few uh, weeks, but um, we're still going to go ahead with it anyways. And what's interesting is, you know, at the end of this lockdown, we're going to see obviously decreases in rates, uh, which are, which is great. I really think that um, why not do a lockdown for a week, right? Like why not see the impacts of just one week of locking down things? Why is it four weeks? What's the premise behind that? Because it makes me think like, well, it's going to be easier for businesses because then they just don't have to pay two pay periods, right? (laughs) It seems to me like a month is convenient because it coincides with a restaurant being like, oh yeah, everybody's going to be out for four weeks as opposed to one week. Cause I think one week would be more challenged from an accounting perspective. 
in that's the thing that it just kind of gives me pause because it's like okay so we're going to do four weeks so we're going to go back after four weeks this is going to happen again i mean i i feel like it's going to be like the you know that game where the head keeps popping up and you keep trying to smack it down and it pops another hole pops up on another side yeah it's whack-a-mole yeah whack-a-mole that's the that's the term. <laughs> and um i did hear that uh i was getting my haircut the other day um and one of the women working there her mother works in an assisted living facility and apparently vaccines are coming for long-term care and assisted living facilities in december quickly yeah yeah which we're like weeks away would really be a huge huge boon um Mm -hmm. i mean can start to protect vulnerable adults that that could have a huge impact on um on some of these things so if if you believe in our ability to you know effectively defend the vulnerable i would uh i would buy I would buy flights for uh, February because we should be in good situation by then. You know, like the prices are low. <laughs> well, once that, once the death rate goes down significantly, what are we, you know, there may be infections, but what are, you no, know, what are we trying to protect here? You know, once yeah. people are, you know, cause more people, the more vulnerable people are ending up in the ERs, you know, they're ending up in the hospitals. And once we start to protect them, Admissions are going to be going down. You know, I think what'll be interesting is to see how they undo the reins on this one. You know, how the government can give up control. I think that's going to be tough. I think it's going to be really tough to rein it back in. And who's going to be accountable for, or who's who's going to be accountable for that? You know, keeping us on. I don't know. Um, That whole accountability piece, I really think about the media and holding journalism accountable. I know that there's a huge effort around holding social media accountable, which is another um, really slippery slope. You know, do you believe that these platforms, Facebook, Twitter, um, I mean, and really all we're talking about is Facebook and Twitter because they're the only ones who are (laughs) in the space right now. Yeah. Anybody Um, else is just wanting to be in the discussion. Yeah, exactly. There's a reason (laughs) only uh, what's his name? Jack and and Mark. Jack and Mark. Yeah. uh, (laughs) are in at congress because they're the only ones with real actual like with the power impact on um on um public you know on free speech and whether or not it should be should be protected on these platforms that's a really interesting uh that's a really interesting discussion that i think uh is is timely i think it's a i think it's the right discussion to be having i certainly don't know what the appropriate response is going to be but hey you know i guess you'll have to have the same discussion about apple you know will our podcast be canceled because some reviewer has heard that we're bashing you know the latest rounds of corona restrictions and since we're using their platform as a tool of um you know disseminating information it's a it's a private it's a private platform so um i don't know it's it's fascinating it'd be very interesting to see if uh, rumpus room all of a sudden is canceled next week because uh, <laughs> of our, uh, our our thoughts here and, and podcasts are another one of those things where we're getting a lot of ideas out there and um, you know you've got like CNN or whatever these are these are by no ways promoters of free speech they're promoting a particular agenda and narrative. I just mm-hmm. yeah a narrative it's it's all about the narrative and it's it's very reminiscent for me of the 
1920s. And um, when you had, you know, Tammany Hall or whatever out there whipping up fear mongering and um, dissent against candidates just to maintain power. I mean, it's just very reminiscent of like the old kind of um, tactics that have been employed to manipulate populations in power since since day one, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just all goes back to manipulation, unfortunately, and who wants to keep the power and the people in power want to keep it. So they're going to do whatever they can. Um, so that's, and that's uh, that makes me think about like Infowars. Alex Jones show was canceled from YouTube. And then I heard him on the Joe Rogan podcast talking about how that was the best thing ever because their Infowars site has been booming. And um, so they've gotten so much more. Um, it's like free traffic. marketing, basically. It's free marketing, but it's also, um, you know, he was happy. He was fine with it because he was like, we have a stronger independent base now that now more than ever, because we can say whatever we want on our platform. And, and I wonder if it's maybe just a recognition how these, how these singular kind of, um, platforms we're, you know, we're talking about a monopoly on social, on social media, really. Um, if this approach is really something that's that's going to serve the population. And it's clear that it's not, you've got Mm -hmm. the conservative, you know, social media outlet. I don't remember what it's called. Um, Yeah. There's that new one. Yeah. That's seen a huge spike. And, and so maybe, maybe all of this, um, all of this kind of challenge to the establishment in terms of these, uh, you know, monolithic systems that control so much of the market isn't going to work. So maybe you will see a great increase in the amount of kind of individual sites that cater to a particular idea, which I, I support, you know, everybody should have the freedom to be on whatever platform they want. Um, I, I just think it's, it might be the start. So, Hey, well, it'd, you be, know. it'd be also giving less power to one or two, you know, it's, it's going to be taking, you know, people who participate in like, let's just say Facebook, you are participating in what they, their ideals, you know, by participating on their site, you're giving them revenue. That's just how it happens. And so if you get off of the site and you participate in some other game, you know, a site that somebody else that you support in terms of, you know, viewpoints, but then monetarily that will even, you know, it will, I think it'll even things out a little more. Yeah, and I wonder if, you know, now is actually a good time to invest in social media platforms that are like niche markets that for sure mm-hmm. um, really are serving a particular population. And then obviously you give people the freedom to choose where they where they end up as opposed to de- determining what is uh, content that's that's appropriate for your particular platform. So well, one of the know. things one la- I kind of thought that we were having is somebody was I was talking to somebody that works for a social media company and they said Facebook Twitter everybody's competition is YouTube that is it's YouTube versus everybody else that's the that's the big YouTube is the kind of the end-all be-all so as you think about you know you think of these YouTube stars everybody's competing against YouTube so the next you know, that, that somebody's got to think of a social media platform that can compete on that level. 
video so. sharing. Well, what do you know? TikTok has emerged in that space. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't know. It's a, uh, I, I'm resisting the urge to say it's a tumultuous time, but there's, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of change happening right now. It's one of those, it's one of those um, sea change events. It's one of those black swan black improbable swans. events. Uh, and, and the fallout is very uncertain. Um, and so my immediate, I, you know, I've been thinking a lot about the stock market. Where are you going to find value? Where is a value investor going to take advantage of whatever changing of the guard that is occurring? Um, I mean, I think you could hedge your bets by betting on authoritarianism and betting on those platforms is still maintaining a lot of power. And I think there's going to be a lot of new entrants that are, um, that have a lot of success too. Mm -hmm. Yep. I do too. I think it's going to, I think there's going to be people leaving those platforms and going on to others. Um, And it's going to become, it's going to become like the Facebook groups are now going to be a whole other platforms. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. You may see that. I don't know. Um, I don't know what to say. Um, we'll see. I don't know. We switch gears here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Where should we land? So one of the things I think young people are trying to make a decision on is do I rent a house or buy a house or rent or buy a house? And you and I had kind of, I think, a longer period of renting than buying, you know, than normal. I think, you know, our parents' generation was get out of college, buy a house right away. Yep. A little easier to buy a house when it's 90 grand. <laughs> you know, it's not, yep. not you know, 300 grand. Yeah. It's difficult for a young person to put a down payment with 20% on 300 grand. I mean, that's, that's almost a year's salary for some of these people, you know, a full year of salary without any type of cost. So that's where it's becoming a little bit more complicated to say, oh, you should be buying a house as early as possible. People that I know that are buying houses early aren't buying it. It's their parents that are buying it for them. So very difficult thing that we're getting into um, in terms of do you rent or do you buy? And I don't think it's as, you know, like it's this easy financial decision that you just make. I think there's a lot of complicated factors. Um, I think renting until the age we did, which was around, you know, 30 years old. Yeah. It's a longer time to rent, but I think, uh, that's, that's a, you know, I've been asked by a number of people of like, Hey, you know, when should I stop renting or when should I buy a house? And I think the millennials, people that are our age are starting to figure out there, that conversation's coming up. And I was just reading that the market is 20%, you know, there's, 20% more sales in the market than there were last year. And there's a decrease in availability. So the prices are just going crazy in the twin cities. Well, and um, how, what is the best deployment of your capital? Because if you can avoid a down payment um, and invest your money year over year in something that's going to appreciate faster than your home value. uh, I mean, that's, I think that that choice never really was a part of the puzzle for a lot of people in previous generations in terms of accessing the market. There wasn't, there weren't these abilities to do your own investing. To buy was, stocks. Yeah, exactly. It was all about like There's no Robin Hood back then. 
no. And, well, I mean, he was, but it was on TV. He's sure. Yeah. Yeah. He was Robin from the rich still. Yep. Um, but uh, so now I think you have greater ability and this pandemic has been really great for a lot of people who put money into the market and uh, a podcast I'm really going to advocate for is the grants interest rate observer. That podcast is where it's at. Holy shit. If you want to yeah. learn about the market, that's just a great one. Um, what do you, you, when do you listen to podcasts? Like, what are you doing usually? I this. am running to the gym and I listen during my warmups or if I'm coming home from the gym or if I go to a, for a run, I typically listen to podcasts or if I go on a long drive, um, mm -hmm. I used to on my drive into work, I would see how long I can listen to, you know, news radio. I'd usually make it about two and a half minutes and then um, throw on a podcast if I'm going to be in the car for anything longer than 30 minutes. Yeah, because I, you know, there's not nearly as much commuter time, and so I was trying to figure out when people are listening to podcasts. Because I, I think podcasting is one of the best thing. Like for me, I usually do it when I'm making coffee or I'm cooking or I'm, you know, doing some of these things around the house. I found it nice to have that in the background. Um, yeah, maybe I'm not fully immersed in the podcast, but it's good background noise for me to listen to. Yeah, I, I view it a little bit as like, um, you know, development time, right? I listen to market podcasts about, uh, you know, what's going on. I listen to healthcare innovation podcasts. I listen to comedy. I listen to things that, um, you know, some of it is about me expanding my horizons in terms of, you know, developing myself. And then some of it is simply entertainment. But um, I would say the majority of it is kind of this hunger for information that um, is, is more salient. And that's, that's my main driver of, of podcasts, but also listen to a lot of uh, DJ sets. So I, if you're into electronic music, podcasts are actually a fantastic way to listen to like DJ sets that are Curated hour long. DJ yeah. Set. Yeah. Yeah. And it's different than the radio where you get, you know, ads or every 10 a certain minutes. set of, pop music or whatever um so that's and I, I don't subscribe to spotify i know a lot of people do spotify and apple music as their source um but that's just not i'm not as interested in like songs that are written by people i guess anymore yep and it's so funny because i did Sp spotify for the summer a lot of it was to prepare for the wedding but i started to find myself like you know the, the concentration playlist, you know, which is like just, just random other things. And then I got into to podcasting, but I just, it's a little different feel um, on Spotify. So I was trying to determine how much time am I actually listening to this? And it wasn't very much, you know, wasn't very much. You can easily go on to, you know, like, a, like you said, a set on podcasting and find that there. So that was, that was a big thing. And I think, you know, I love the thing about podcasting is it's just very open. Yeah, it's just an open kind of open sourced information. And that's something that I, I'd say in terms of per personal development, it kind of got, it's really started to write the ship with me. I started to listen to certain podcasts, starting to change the narrative in my own mind on mm -hmm. what's possible. So I'm listening to people that I think are, are really figuring it out. Um, 
was opening my mind to other view, you know, other ways to think. Um, and just like, you know, just like you, I'm, you can learn a ton on these podcasts. You know, I'm learning a lot about being an entrepreneur, you know, what businesses should you be listening to? There's just a lot of great information out there. And, you know, when you listen to podcasts, you know, it's like you start to get to know these people pretty well. So I, I just, I really enjoyed that. And I, I was reading how podcasting is just a market that will continually grow. It's a, there's actually not that many people that are doing it on there. So. Yeah, I know it's uh, it certainly is a, a fun activity for us. So um, mm-hmm. send us your favorite podcasts, the rumpus room podcast at gmail.com, or you can check out our website at rumpusroom.com. And that's all we got for you today, folks. Tune in next week when we'll be back kicking it here in the rumpus room.